Welcome to What We Think, brought to you by Martz and Lundy. Martz and Lundy is a strategic consulting firm committed to advancing the field of philanthropy. We help mission-driven organizations build the capacity they need to achieve their highest potential. In this podcast series, our experienced consultants and special guests will share insights on current opportunities, trends, and challenges in philanthropy. Welcome to today's Marts and Lundy podcast. Today, we're going to be exploring multiple perspectives in patient and family giving. I'm Frank Interlichia. I'm a senior consultant at Marts and Lundy in the healthcare practice. And most of my fundraising career has been in academic health centers and in hospitals, helping raise funds to fulfill their missions. And joining me today is our health council member, Dr. David Alexander. How are you, Frank? I'm doing well, David. How about you, David? If you uh, just want to give a little bit of your unique background. Sure. I've had a a twisted path uh, to where I am today. Besides being an up council member of Martin Lundy, so I'm a pediatrician. I uh, practice as a real actual practicing physician uh, for about 10 years, mostly in Philadelphia at academic medical centers, mostly at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, in the early 90s, I went over to the dark side and became a children's hospital CEO and uh, spent about uh, almost 15 years as a children's hospital CEO uh, at two children's hospitals in the Midwest. And in 2007, um, I wanted to do something that was a little more mission focused and uh, came out to the Bay Area and was the president and CEO of a large children's uh, health foundation, uh, primarily the fundraising arm for child health and obstetrics for Stanford. Uh, we were a very large fundraising organization. The last two years I was there, we raised over $130 million a year. Um, so I've seen uh, healthcare and philanthropy from a variety of perspectives, both as a clinician, as an administrator, uh, and uh, as a uh, foundation director. Um, and today, I, um, uh, besides my work with Martin Lundy, I run a, a small nonprofit that I started a couple of years ago that's... Uh, uh, focused on the culture of uh, child well-being in this country. That's great. Thank you, David. And, you know, we've had a number of fascinating conversations about your background because we, we all, we've we encountered and asked and talked to um, physicians about their experience with philanthropy. We've talked to CEOs and we talked to fellow fundraisers about it, but rarely do we get all three in one person. Um, so I'm going to ask you today to change hats a few times and comment a little bit on um, each one of those experiences. To start out, um, I'd like to begin with your perspective on philanthropy as a physician. Um, you know, and in your experience, how do you think physicians think about development, working with grateful patients and families? And, you know, conversely, what, what worked well? Um, how can development professionals really help physicians and other care providers understand what they do. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes without saying that the relationship that physicians have with their patients and their families is, you know, it's really this sort of sacrosanct thing that people don't want tainted with any outside influence. Um, and um, I, I think that for the untrained physician, the physician who doesn't really understand development work, 
um, they see the development world as impinging on that relationship. Um, the other thing to think about with physicians is that they view their time as their most important uh, asset and they see getting engaged in anything outside of taking care of their patients as not value added to them or their patients. So that's sort of where we come from um, as, as physicians. And the other thing that physicians are really concerned about is they want to sort of control sort of the relationship between their patient and their healthcare and the flow of information to, and they're very nervous about others sort of muddling in with that relationship. So if you think about it, having a fundraising staff member hone in on that relationship is a threat to that that sort of sacred bond that they have, especially if they think that, um, like I used to when I was both uh, a physician and an administrator, that somehow a development staff member was like a salesperson who was going to come in and twist people's arms to do something that they don't want to do. And it comes from a basic lack of understanding about what development people do. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that as a development staff member, you can assume that a physician knows what your job is or what you're going to do when you work with somebody. So I think there's a couple of things that are really important to think about as uh, you as a development staff member uh, work with physicians. First of all, you're going to have to build a level of trust with them. Um, and to do that, you're going to need to not do the things that they're worried that you're going to do. So, you know, one of the things that uh, as a physician is most important that some organizations do really well and some don't is development staff members should not be talking to physicians without the physician knowing about it. If you're a development person and you're going to talk to Dr. Smith's patients, for you to not let Dr. Smith know you're going to do that ahead of time is a challenge. First of all, Dr. Smith's not going to like it. And second of all, you're not going to know what you're walking into. You really want to know what's going on. So the first thing is don't ever talk to a patient without talking to the physician. The other thing to just sort of get around uh, that uh, fear um, of arm twisting is uh, uh, there's a couple of things that I've used when I was in my development role with physicians. First of all, remind physicians that you can't, you know, we don't, we're not as development professionals, we're not salespeople. Uh, we don't have a product to sell. So there's no, you know, there's no twisting anybody's arm to doing anything. And I frequently ask physicians, have you ever given to a cause you didn't believe in? And of course they don't. So, you know, we're not going to be able to get patients to do something that they don't want to do. And the second thing is this issue about gratitude. So we as physicians, you know, we are programmed when somebody says, thank you, is there anything else we can do? We reflexly say, no, it's my privilege to take care of you. And, you know, I'm just happy to do this. Um, and doing anything short of that feels wrong to us without getting training puts it uh, puts too heavy a burden on it. But without sort of this understanding that when people are expressing gratitude, first of all, it is good for them. And there's actually a huge literature that shows that expressing gratitude is good for people's mental health. And second of all, when people express gratitude, the best thing that you can do for them is give them an opportunity to express that. And so as a physician, when you hear that, to be able to look at them and say, I really, you know, that's and my standard line is, you know, that's not necessary, but it's really appreciated. And if you'd like, I can connect you to one of my colleagues. And that word is important. One of my colleagues on the development team who can talk to you about that. And, and, and you can just get that across to your rank and file physicians 
um, you will change the culture in the organization. But it's not so easy because they have to hear that more than once because for every time you've told them that you know you should refer them to a development staff person, they've internally said to themselves, I'm not supposed to accept anything more. You know, It's a privilege to take care of you. So it's important to do that. I'd make one or two other points. Some organizations have done this better than others, but making that referral as easy as possible is really important. Some places that have used, you know, the big IT systems that hospitals use today, you can get a development consult the same way you can get a rheumatology consult. Um, and if you can get your IT department to do that, that's, you know, if you can click a button and get that done, that's great. And we're not going to talk about this today, but as you're thinking about physicians, I'd like you to think about nurses in much the same way. It's important for everybody to remember that, especially in the hospital setting and in academic medical centers, when patients are hospitalized, it's for one of two reasons. Sometimes it's because they need a procedure that has to be done in a hospital that can't be done at home. But if it's not for that, it's for nursing care. That's why people get admitted to the hospital. It's not for doctoring, because you can get a doctor anywhere. And the people who shape a person's inpatient experience, and I can say this because I'm a doc, are not the doctors, it's the nurses. Um, and so that, that same, uh, and the same sort of set of feelings and reluctance to talk to patients about gratitude that I've mentioned for doctors, it goes for nurses as well. Um, so uh, whatever time you as a development staff member are spending cultivating relationships with physicians, you need to do that with your staff nurses because they get asked, you know, they get gratitude expressed. And, you know, it, it's interesting if you've talked to patients months or years after their hospital stay, they'll frequently forget who their doctor was, but they'll always remember their nurse. Yeah, very um, true. Very true. And and David, those are those are really wonderful points, too. And usually when when talking with a group of physicians about this, they talk about the first half and I talk about the second half of what you just discussed, because you've also been on the fundraising side. Uh, just to quickly comment on gratitude and accepting gratitude, it's a very hard thing that we're conditioned not to do. But from you know, we spend a lot of time in our workshops and training sessions talking to um, physicians and, and other care providers, including nurses and techs and and others, about how important that is to the the patient and the family to accept that gratitude, give them um, an outlet for that gratitude. So those are those are uh, terrific points. I'm gonna ask you now to switch hats and think about it from the role, <laughs> from the role of the CEO. And just if you could talk a little bit about a, a very different perspective, how healthcare leaders view philanthropy in the development process. Yeah, so, you know, as, as I said, I spent about 15 years as a children's hospital CEO before I, so I worked around a lot of development people and I had a foundation at both of the hospitals I ran and wonderful development staff who I initially thought were salesmen and saleswomen um, because I you know, just thought that if they were good enough, if I find the right people, they'd be able to get me the money for what I needed. Um, and that, that is clearly not what philanthropy is about. And, and so you know, the, the opportunity is for A, for hospital CEOs to become for lack of a better word, enlightened about what philanthropy is, what stimulates donors to actually give, and to find those opportunities where institutional needs can match up with donor desire. Uh, and the job of the development staff is to make those marriages happen. Um, so 
one of one of the key things is the opportunity to bring as you know every organization has financial challenges every organization does strategic planning and most organizations do their strategic plan figure out how much money they need and hand that wish list to the foundation very true um, and then there's this conversation about well this isn't really a good opportunity for philanthropy and this isn't and life would be much simpler for everybody if everybody could be at the table at the same time. So one of the things, especially for senior development staff members, is to develop the kind of trusting relationship with um, executives in your healthcare organization that they want you at the table as they're developing their strategy. So that when the strategic plan is done, it's very clear from the beginning what of those uh, opportunities are, are also opportunities for philanthropy. Um, and I think that's a really important step that some institutions have started to take now, but more need to, uh, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if if we don't do that, everybody gets frustrated. Um, the CEO gets frustrated that, you know, the foundation ends up raising money for things that are not priorities for them. Uh, the foundation gets frustrated because they get handed this wish list of things that n- nobody wants to fund. So uh, I, th- I think it's really important to build a really tight relationship, a collaborative relationship um, between the hospital and its strategic planning and the development office and its planning. Um, and you know, to do campaign planning in the absence of a strategic plan from the organization is something that should just, just sort of never, never happen. Um, I think the other important thing is to build you know, I, I think most hospital CEOs don't see the value of their participation in the fundraising practice. And to, you know, to spend the time it takes to get your your hospital leadership, and I'm not going to just say the CEO, there's all sorts of people, you know, you know your chief uh, nursing officer is an important person, uh, your chief medical officers are important people, to get them to understand what development is and what it is not. Um, and to get them to understand how to talk in a donor-centric way to people who are interested in supporting their institution. Um, not just sort of throwing out all the things that you want to do, but to actually actively listen to donors and figure out what it is that they're interested in supporting. Um, and realizing that their job is not to go in and sell them on supporting this new wing of a building, but to listen to what their experience was and you know how their uh, family wants to express their gratitude to the institution. There's there's that word gratitude again, right? Yeah, no question. In, in terms of the CEO, um, would you just touch on to the um, sort of the relationship with with the board? Uh, because I think that's something that that oftentimes, from a philanthropic perspective, the CEOs might not be thinking about as much. In, in a way, you've seen one board, you've seen one board, uh, and different boards have you know, markedly different expectations about what the expectations of uh, the board members are for philanthropy. And that's become increasingly so as healthcare has become systematized and you're increasingly starting to see very business-oriented system board and hospital board as separated from a foundation board where there's a very much clearer expectation about uh, giving, personal giving and getting of other gifts um, I, I think the real opportunity is in those boards that are business oriented, where people are kind of reluctant to talk about the giving side, where they sort of palm that off on to the foundation board. 
uh, and to build an understanding that the strategy that they are developing needs to be done in concert uh, with uh, the community's philanthropy. Um, and, you know, as they think about strategy and business, you know, institutional strategy, business strategy, they really need to be thinking about if they're looking to philanthropy to fund any of that, how are they going to talk about that? And does that make sense? So, uh, you know, for organizations that have a more blended board, um, I think having clarity with board members about what the expectations are with them, about uh, about their own giving. But if you can look at your board and uh, see anything less than 99% of your board giving some sort of gift that's meaningful to them, whatever that is, I think you have a problem with the culture of philanthropy in your board yeah. and I, a lack of understanding about what philanthropy is. No, that's a great point, David. And, and it links back to what you were saying earlier about making sure that you have alignment, coordination, that philanthropy is an extension of what the institution needs to do and that um, we're all in this together, basically. Yeah. Um, the the third hat, and, I, and maybe I'll ask you at the end so you can start thinking about this now, which was the trickiest hat to wear in terms of philanthropy? The, the third hat is you as you as the chief fundraiser, chief philanthropic officer, and where you're working with fellow physicians, and CEOs, and as well as donors and staff. Um, how, how, how can development people be the best partners um, in this in this complicated mix of healthcare philanthropy? Yeah, well, like everything else, um, success in this realm has to do with your ability to develop uh, trusting personal relationships with the people that you need to make the connections that you need to be successful as a fundraiser. So, uh, you know, you, you uh, as a fundraiser, you are dependent on your physician staff to introduce you to those grateful patients and grateful families um, who can make the gifts that they want to make. Um, and you are really dependent on your uh, organizational leadership, first of all, to fund your office. Um, and we can talk about that as a, maybe that's a separate topic. Um, but you're dependent on them for supporting your own efforts uh, and for partnering in trying to figure out what opportunities you have to present uh, to um, the organization. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about a little bit is on the trust side with physicians. And, and this is a real issue. So the institution's in the middle of a campaign to do whatever it is. They're gonna raise money to build a new uh, cancer wing for their hospital. And one of the things that physicians are concerned about, so uh, you get a call from a cardiologist and says, I have a patient who wants to talk to you. And what they're afraid of is that you're gonna turn that patient into a cancer wing donor not into supporting their work. Um, so that's another sort of pitfall. The first time you do that, you'll never hear from that cardiologist again. And, and so what we need to do as we develop campaigns and as we develop um, giving opportunities with organizations is we need to make sure that if we want to engage a broad swath of the organization clinically, that there are opportunities for, uh, you know, if a physician from a certain part of the organization refers you uh, a family that you need to be able to have an opportunity for them. Um, so uh, working with that C-suite and having them, uh, you know, on the one hand, being at the table while campaigns are developed. And, and I say campaigns, when I, when I say campaign for the organization, they think of their strategic plan like we in development think of a campaign. But as they're developing their strategic plan, if development's at the table and everything in the strategic plans about cancer, 
uh, part of our job is to say, okay, that's great. And we're going to, you know, there's going to be a group of institutional donors who are going to want to support the highest priority institution. But what if somebody wants to support obstetrics? What are we going to do for that? Um, and it's best to have those things in mind because a development professional is not going to turn that donor away and will end up doing something that's not in the institution's interest, uh, creating right. that sort of conflict that we don't yeah. want. And I think that's a, those are great points, David. And I think it, it also touches on um, what you were saying earlier as well, that um, you want to listen to what um, patients and families care about in terms of philanthropy, and you want to be donor-centric, but there's also a point of balance with what the institution really needs and doesn't need. And we all have to be working together uh, together on that front. So that's a, those are wonderful points. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, I, one of the things that, uh, one of the organizations I was, you know, we, we actually had a problem where we were making commitments to donors to do things that were going to be challenging strategically for the institution. Um, and we actually developed a process where if we had, you know, uh, fundraising opportunities over a certain amount where that were not part of our strategic plan, there was a, not make it, putting it as a formal process makes it sound more burdensome than it was. But there were some steps that had to happen before we could formalize a fundraising agreement with a donor around something that wasn't an institutional priority to make sure that we could handle it. Yeah, there is there is a lot of love and happiness around the forming of a the closing of a gift and an agreement, but um, you you need to have an internal process of discipline. Um, otherwise, you wind up with those gifts that that aren't really helpful. Um, yep. When 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 I'm talking with um, um, with physicians about uh, about what we do about philanthropy, the um, the question of fundraising priorities always comes up, and and I think the mantra is: faculty don't surprise your department chairs, department chairs don't surprise your deans, deans make sure it fits with the strategic plan. So it's you know hopefully if your ladder of communications working. You, nobody's getting surprised. Yeah, correct. But but as I as I said, the important thing to remember as you're doing your institutional as a CEO as you're doing your strategic plan and as a foundation as you're doing your campaign to remember that not every gift is going to come in with your campaign priorities. And what are you going to do uh, with the physician who you know one of the sort of smell tests for any campaign is what percentage of your medical staff's gonna look at that campaign and be happy about it. If, if they don't see themselves in that campaign, that's a challenge. No, that's a great point. And that's the reality of the work as opposed to the, the wonderful theory of the work sometimes. Yeah. So it's a yeah. terrific, terrific point. Okay, so I'm gonna force you. So which was the hardest hat to wear of the three? They, they all have their, their challenges. Uh, I, th I think the development role is probably the hardest. And I'm not saying that because this is probably an audience filled with development people, um, but but I, I think it is because it's in the other when you're wearing the other two hats, you don't really think about, you know, the as much as you'd like to. The hospital physicians are not thinking about the administration or the development staff, and and uh, the the CEOs are not really thinking about much of anything other than as a supplier for what they need. And the development staff really has to be the one that builds those bridges. Um, and also has uh, a, a different kind of relationship with um, with the patients and the families uh, than the physician does. Um, so um, I, I think that's the toughest 
of of the three roles uh, that that I have played. That's great, David, and thank you for that response, which was not scripted or practiced beforehand. So uh, we really, really appreciate that. So th- thank you so much for the time, David. I think you know just in, in reflecting back on, on uh, you know some of the the main points that that you made, you talked a lot about trusting relationships and about building the type of partnerships between physicians and development professionals, between patients and physicians, between the development professionals and the patients. So, so building those trusting relationships is the key to so much being patient-centric and donor-centric, knowing that development people also are sensitive to the needs of patients and families, aren't going to do anything that's um, ethically questionable. I think those are really important points. You, you touched on um, very briefly budget, but the engagement and the endorsement of the CEO and of leadership, and uh, not just words of endorsement, but actual programmatic support consistently is a, is a real key to success here. And then development also has that obligation that um, they've got to be professional and they have to have a degree of operational excellence or their credibility is uh, going to dissolve very, very quickly. So those are not optional um, pieces of the puzzle. I just want to reemphasize that both physicians and hospital administrators know as much about the work of development as development people know about doing surgery. And if we assume that they understand what it's like to develop a relationship with a donor and solicit a gift and close a gift and steward it, you know, we have to assume that they don't understand that and make sure that they do. Um, because once they do, they can become the kind of partner in this process that we need them to be. And I would say, David, I can't say anything better to wrap it up than that. So thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Frank. We thank you for listening and invite you to visit our What We Think page at martsandlundy.com. Here you will find blogs, webinars, and special reports with more of our insights.